0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is Joni Siegel, and with me today is my co-host... Jason Good. Awesome. Nice to see you, Jason. You as well. Today's episode is episode 104, which brings our second year to a close. Pretty exciting. So, Jason, so I know you've been super duper busy over at Narconon. What are you seeing in terms of this, the whole problem that we address every week? What are you seeing?
2: I'm seeing the fact that it hits every socioeconomic class, it hits every race, religion, color, creed, education level, and it also doesn't matter what you do for a living. Like, I have had recently, I've had lawyers, doctors, judges, judges. Wow coming through that have drug addictions. It's like...
1: A judge with a drug addiction.
2: Yeah, I mean, look at the... Uh, Not a local judge. No. Okay. but um,
1: Couldn't tell me anyway, but...
2: <laughs> but it's like, if you look at it from this viewpoint, it's like, look what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years. I mean, there was that mayor in Canada mm-hmm. who died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. And he was well known in the media for being a crack addict. This is the mayor of a town. I, I mean, we've got it's just it's hitting everyone right and so you it's hard to say oh well you're this this of this profession and you're of this class and you're from this area there's no way you'll be addicted because
1: you should know better but it has nothing to do with it
2: that's the thing I you know the question I got yesterday um, was this I don't understand how a person can just get addicted Because this person has never been an addict and and couldn't think with like, how do you just like all of a sudden get to the point where it's like, you can't live without this drug. And I said, see, it's an interesting thing that happens is that when you get, when you take a drug, however you get it, whether it's experimentation or from a doctor or whoever, right once you get high and you get that euphoria and you feel as though that euphoria is a solution to your problems, that's how addictions start because all of a sudden this one thing's doing something for you that nothing else could do and nothing else could handle. And, um, the woman was like, well, you know, I take a Percocet, I get nauseous and I hate it. I said, right. Well, that's why you wouldn't get addicted to it. Whereas someone like me or, you know, countless other people out there, we get such a strong euphoria from that, that euphoria is actually what's being used to solve everything. Right. It's like, you can go hide in that. And so I think she started to kind of understand it. And then the other question I got from someone very near and dear to me was, what makes a person try drugs to begin with? And I was like, "Hmm." but she said, I've never, I've gone out of my way not to do drugs, knowing what they do to you, like what what they could potentially cause. Like what makes a person just try it in the first place?
1: I think there's, I think that ranges across the boards to heavy duty loss to maybe being in some sort of a situation. You just can't confront and handle for whatever reason
2: yeah or it's a party yeah and you're already drunk and everybody's and doing
1: here. it and you go sure i can try it it's not going to be a big deal
2: or the or you get an injury and the doctor says you know just to keep you know reduce the inflammation and keep the pain under control i'm going to put you on in. that's another entrance point yeah there's so many various entrance points and the thing is is you know I don't care what kind of like drug education or what kind of curriculum school have or whatever. The best thing I can see is kids, especially need to know how to act in that actual situation where they're going to be given drugs because you can have the data, which is good. You should right. have the information about drugs, right? You can have the understanding of addiction and what can happen. But one thing I've always thought was missing was actually like a re- putting a kid in like a real life scenario and kind of drilling what you're going to do, right? Because it catches you off guard like the first time i tried cocaine talk took me completely off guard right and so i didn't know what to do And i was just like yeah sure and so you know what i'm seeing at at narconon especially is just that people are addicted to almost every drug out there There's right a, a little bit of everything obviously the prevalence is opiates and uh and, me- and methamphetamine but i mean i've got people coming in on things that i haven't heard of for a while like i got a call today for someone on pcp mm-hmm. um, People are abusing drugs. That's just the overall scenario. Right. And we're trying to kind of clean it up bit by bit by bit.
1: Right. Now, I I want to interject for a second because I think pain is an interesting aspect of this whole thing. And the reason why I bring that up is because I recently fell. And uh, quite fortunately, it was was a really bad fall. I didn't break anything. I did have a displaced rib fracture. Mm. So, and I had definitely torqued my upper body so that I had that horrific grabbing thing that happens when you hurt a yes. rib. It's horrific. Yeah. Now I, that, th- when, when you get that, it happens and then you can move again and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a constant chronic thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that, uh, I, I, I tend to think if that were chronic, that level of pain, I mean like chronic, I mean like continuous and not ending, I'm not sure that I wouldn't want to take something for it. Now, I guess then it becomes the question of when do you still need the painkiller and when do you not need the painkiller? Because after maybe three weeks, four weeks, I no longer had that grabbing thing, like it went away. Mm -hmm. So presumably that type of pain would go away. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is there was one period of time when I had migraines Mm -hmm. or not migraines, but really, really bad, the kind of bad headache that doesn't matter if you close your eyes or not, it just hurts, right? right? I didn't, I didn't throw up. I know some people with migraines, they throw up, but it was just a very, very short period of time. Mm -hmm. I don't think I took painkillers for it. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm just not sure how I would deal with chronic unending pain well, like here's, would i turn to painkillers i don't know because i it's
2: really awful you know well, here's one interesting thing there's a uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence that suggests that ibuprofen kills pain just as good as opiates just no euphoria so you have to think about it well there might be a like a, a lower impact pain reliever that you could take that will give you the same amount of analgesia analgesia am i saying that right analgesia An- maybe it sounds good pain re- quote, pain relief right um Without the uh, the possibility of becoming physically and uh, mentally or emotionally, you know, dependent or addicted to a substance. The other thing you have to think about is that if you do start on opioid painkillers or opiate painkillers, it only takes a little bit less than two weeks to become physically addicted. Okay. Or physically dependent, sorry. Right. Um, is
1: ibuprofen considered like opioid or no? no? Okay. because
2: there's no, there's no opium derivative. So I'm going to distinguish two things right now. There's opiates and opioids. Okay. You, see, you know how we use these words a lot? and Sometimes yeah. they're... Uh, people when they're when interchangeable them, they'll yeah. be interchangeable but they're yeah. not there's a distinct difference an opiate is anything derived from the opium poppy okay like hydrocodone vicodin percocet um, which is oxycodone heroin right now an opioid is a synthetically reproduced or synthetically created opiate so fentanyl dilaudid things like that that don't derive initially from codeine which comes from opium okay that's the differences between the two but it only takes about two weeks to get physically dependent on either of them so you always have to weigh the pros and the cons
1: i completely zoned out you must have said something i did not understand i don't
2: understand the
1: difference between opioids and opiates you just explained it i'm like oh my
2: god Uh,
1: okay one more time for the dull person on the other side of the microphone totally fine
2: an opiate (laughs) is something that's a, a naturally derived essentially, from the opium poppy.
1: Opiate naturally derived from the opium poppy. But heroin, then. Heroin. Is it opiate?
2: Right. Okay. Um. Yes. Heroin, okay. morphine, opium. Those are opiates. Okay. Right? Opiates. Okay. Now, good, I got it. Opie. things like... Um, Fentanyl. Things, no, no. No. Things sorry. like heroin, oxycodone, or anything with a codeine base, is all originally derived from an opium poppy. Okay. That's, that's the source. So those source. are opiates. Right. So... That's what creates those, that, those medications. And it too, which is a codeine derivative. Okay. It's all coming from the opium poppy. Now, an opioid is something that has been synthetically created that has never been tied to the opium poppy, but it's a synthetically oh. created substance that kills pain. For instance, fentanyl right. is an opioid. Right. right? Okay. Um, okay. is an opioid. I get Certain it. Certain painkillers are a syn- just synthetic. It's opiate, synthetic, Right. They're, basically. Man, they're man-made. The opio- right. Opioids. Exactly. They're man-made. Okay. We, we feel better about it? Like
1: yeah, like droids, like opioids. Yeah,
2: yeah. opioids like it's not real.
1: Yeah, there was something in there, I must a lot.
2: <laughs> Either way, any way you slice it, they're all is just as bad for you, whether they're natural or synthetic. I mean it's all bad. They can all lead to addiction, they can all lead to dependence, they can all lead to overdose and death. And you always have to think and I say always because you always have to think with this if you're injured or you have chronic or acute pain. What are the pros and the cons of taking a medication that's a no, that, that's a pain that's a narcotic painkiller and have
1: a less is more
2: viewpoint because when I more, yeah. when I
1: finally went to the ER because I was fine for about a week or ten days I had a chiropractic adjustment which might have not been the best thing to do at that particular time and then the pain got worse for me so i went in and i got an x-ray and that's where they said oh you cracked a rib so they gave me a shot of steroids which i'm not against as long as you're not doing it like every day and typically i do it one time and then i don't see anybody for three or four years but um they he gave me a prescription for a painkiller but then i said you know listen i'm probably not going to take it he said just an ibuprofen just do that and so i think maybe i took it once or twice but but my point is Less is more. So if you, listener, if you're at a doctor and you've got pain or whatever and they are prescribing Dilaudid or some of these major opioids, Mm -hmm. you know, ask the doctor, could I maybe not get the same effect if I took ibuprofen and see if there's a way you can wean off one of those heavy duty painkillers and start doing something like ibuprofen if you need a painkiller? Because that's the one, like I say, that's the one issue where I kind of go, I don't know how... I would be able to function if I had a chronic pain going on all the time.
2: Right.
1: The other reasons we talk about like more mental or spiritual reasons, okay,
2: but I, pain still comes a part of that.
1: Yeah, it does, and it's in, it's include yeah, because if I were in pain all the time, I would not be a very nice person. No, but what about saying. mental
2: what about a mental, emotional or spiritual pain? That's true. You have to think about it like that too and if you want to even take this into more of a broad concept, most if not all of addiction to some degree is driven by pain.
1: Yeah, It's
2: true. Whether it be physical pain, mental pain, or emotional pain, or even spiritual pain that if we want to look at it for like, okay, what underlies addiction? A lot of time we're looking at pain. Yep. We're, discomfort. Um, humans are pleasure seekers. We, we prefer pleasure. We'll avoid pain at all costs. Right. Whether it be mental, physical, or emotional. So we have to look at that. We really want to see what's driving addiction across the board is pain. Okay. And our, and our uh, either ability or inability to handle it. Right.
1: I guess, yeah, I guess the reason why I kind of sort of separated out and, you know, is I have managed to come up with other solutions for mental or spiritual stress or Mm -hmm. pain. And, um, but for physical pain, I don't know. It's a little bit different. I mean, there, there's the argument that you know, mental stress or, you know, emotional stress is some kind of a chemical imbalance in the brain, which I would argue anyway, but okay. Anyway, pain I get. And so I get that. So, it, and, but, it, but, you, it, but you could do a less is more viewpoint on any of these for any reason. Right. And I mean, that I would say more,
2: less is more is the, is the, is definitely the stance you have to take, but it's also ask questions. Yeah. What you're taking yep. and and look at the co- and look at the risk benefit. Right, you know, ratio. Do the risks outweigh the benefits, right, or vice versa? And
1: and I would say, if the type of pain that you are experiencing is emotional or mental, I would suggest that you find somebody to talk to. Yeah, that's a that's a safe person for you to talk to because so much of that type of you know anxiety or stress can be alleviated if you have someone you can talk to that will. Mm -hmm. You know, understand, not judge, or what have you. well, I think those are all good points and something that we want people to keep in mind, yes,
2: absolutely
1: We have an interview today, and I wanted to tell you a little bit about the person that we will be interviewing. His name is Ted McGrath, and he is a theater performer, speaker, and best selling author. He has created five household brands and made millions, teaching coaches, speakers, and service based business owners how to turn their life story and life experience into a lucrative business that impacts millions and makes millions. He brings a unique approach to coaching, speaking, and transformation. Not only is he one of the highest paid consultants in the industry, but he's also a theater performer of the smash hit one man show called Good Enough. Ted is also a recovered addict, and so he has a story to tell us today that I think will be fascinating. He's on a mission to combine the impact of the entertainment industry and the transformation industry to unite the two most powerful industries and influencers on the planet for the greater good, and I can't wait to hear more about how he does that. So without further ado, here is our interview today with Ted McGrath. Well, Ted, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I super appreciate you sharing your story with us.
0: You're welcome. Pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. So the first thing I always ask the people that I interview is, um, tell us your story. How did you get started with drugs? How did that go for you?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I started in the professional world when I was 21 years old with a company called New York Life Insurance. And, uh, no idea how I really ended up in the insurance business. My dad, you know, he went bankrupt when I was, uh, you know, graduated from college and I always wanted to be in business with my dad. But when that wasn't an option, I was like, what do I want to do? So I started off in the insurance business and, um, you know, my whole mindset at that time was like, make the money. You know, I came from a entrepreneurial family where they were entrepreneurs. So I was like, make the money. If I make the money, then I'll be successful and I'll be happy. And so, uh when i was uh a year later um i just got in the news that i cracked six figures in income my first year in the business and that night i went out to celebrate and uh uh, at four o'clock in the morning i found myself uh, overdosed on the floor from a bag of cocaine two pills of ecstasy 15 vodka sodas and my my soul coming out of my body and uh so now now wait a second was Uh, that
1: the was that the first time you'd tried any of this stuff like you just did it all at once
0: um, no, I had, uh, had dabbled a little bit in college where okay. I started. And then you, I, uh, you scared me,
1: I, Ted. I for, <laughs> you scared me for oh a minute. I said, you scared me. I mean, yeah. it's a scary thing anyway, but I thought, oh my goodness, that can't be your first experience with drugs. But anyway, go ahead.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so that was, uh, that was after me having stopped for a while. And okay. then, uh, um, cause I dabbled in college and then boom, went right back into it. And, uh, that was the effect of it. So I, you know, I started a little bit doing drugs initially. Um, when I was, I would say pot was the first thing I smoked when I was like, uh, I think in college was the first time I tried it. And then after that, then I went to, um, to, um, uh, cocaine and then, uh, um, oh, no, ecstasy first and then cocaine. So that's kind of the order of sequence of how things started.
1: Okay. But then you had been kind of, um, you hadn't been doing a lot of drugs to get your career going and then kind of jump back into it. Is that, am I saying that right?
0: Uh, Yeah. Like I I got to a place where like, I didn't know what I was doing with my life. So I'll kind of get, I'll give you this story of kind of how it broke down. I didn't know what I was doing um, after college and I was kind of lost. And so I was still... I was still doing a little drinking and partying um, in terms of ecstasy. And then I was in a relationship and uh, it just like completely ended, like destroyed the relationship. And when that happened, it was a little bit of a wake up call for me where I was like, wow, man, I just lost somebody that I love. And uh, so I was like, I'm done. So I stopped drinking and doing drugs. And I got serious about the company that I was interviewing with, New York Life Insurance. It was kind of on like a trial with them. Uh, period to see if like I would make it and meet, meet the standards to get hired. And so I stopped and then I got really serious. And then I like, you know, took all the examinations I needed to the life insurance exam, the securities exam. And then when I started up with, uh, New York life, like I wasn't drinking, things were going well. And then I remember, uh, um, you know, my first, like my third month where I made a lot of money, I was just like, okay, let's party. And then I just got right back into, doing the drugs and alcohol again
1: okay and how did that affect your job
0: um good question um i would say certainly didn't affect me from being one of the top producers in the office so um in terms of doing the drugs i i was like i didn't really i was like wow i'm still getting results but then when i look at specific things like times where I went home from work early, you know, because I was hung over or whatever, or I had just been out on a bender, like showing up, you know, I would be a guy that would be out and do the ecstasy and cocaine. And then to Monday morning, show up to the gym at four thirty and still make it to work. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting. Like there were times where I got a little lazy, which is very rare, but there were times where I would just be at work and still high or drunk for a couple of days. And, uh, and it was, it was just like clearly like i was productive in 2 days of the week to do the production that i did imagine what i could have done with 5 days i could have maybe 10x what i was doing right so right. it clearly affected like my performance my clarity my uh even my drive
1: interesting Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. If you would like to contact us, you can reach out to us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page by the same name. You can call 877-339-3324 if you would like further information on Narconon Suncoast or the Narconon program in general. And we have an email address. Shortly, we will have a website, but our email address is our acronym, T-A-P-P-O-N-R 2017 at gmail.com. That's T like Tom, A like Apple, P like Peter, P like Peter, O like Oscar, N like Nancy, R like Robert, 2017 at gmail.com. Would you have considered yourself at the time an addict or just a user, I guess?
0: Uh, Yeah, I I would say like, um, never ever looked at myself as an addict still to this day. Okay. Not even like a, not even a thing that I uh, cognite on, because okay. uh, or I, I I don't have any reality around like oh like addiction. Uh, so for me, like I look at it and go because I I still had the willpower to go okay Monday through Thursday I don't touch anything. Right. So okay, so maybe I'm a weekend addict, you know, if people want to call it that. The way I always looked at it is there was something wrong internally with how I felt about myself.
1: Right. And drugs were
0: the mask for it. And, that, and so I never looked at it as being addicted to drugs. I looked at it as like I needed to become more of who I am. Right. And then if I did that, then the drugs would also be something that could be handled. And so that's, that's kind of how I, how I viewed it. So I wasn't a person who did it every day. Like you see some people who might go out total, they consider themselves a total active, addict. Addicts. I didn't look at myself that way.
1: Right. Because I, I was, I don't know if this is a term or not, but you were almost like a functioning user, if you will. Because, y- you know, I think your story is interesting because you could, you could stop, basically, when you needed to stop. And um, I, I, I think, and Jason could correct me if he were here with us today, but um, I think uh, the definition of an addict would be more someone who cannot stop. And you were able to do that when you needed to.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was able to uh, to uh, stop, you know, and I think, uh, I mean, I, w- I, I would say I went off the deep end like a lot of people do, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of through the weekend. The, the difference was, like, I mean, my viewpoint is, like, I had something I had to get up for Monday morning, despite how bad it was. Like, I, I had some something, so I think my my responsibility was still in a, enough to go, I, I, I got things to do, so uh, clearly... I had something that was a little bit more important to me than doing drugs during the week, which was I wanted success. And so I think sometimes when people don't have anything more important to them, they, they just make the, they, they kind of go on and on and on with drugs. And that, that's just how I felt about myself. Everybody has their own situation. and I think a lot of people will see it differently. Like they can't stop, or it totally controls them and blah, blah, blah. I don't feel like I ever felt totally controlled by it, but I feel like I definitely had times where I felt controlled about it on the weekend where it was like something that like, okay, you just go do this, this. is what you do. And that's it. And then when I OD'd, I was so, here's what happened when I OD'd. It's kind of interesting because I then, um, made the decision because I was getting promoted to partner right around that time. I was the top sales guy in the office. And then I got promoted into management with the company. Wow. So I wanted to make, yeah. So I wanted to make partner, With the company, it was my goal to like be a partner and hit be one of the top partners in the company. So with that, I was actually so afraid that I would lose my job that I stopped. After, and of course, lose my life, right? Because I OD'd. But I was so afraid of those two things that I was just like, I'm not going to touch drugs, and no matter how drunk I got, which was very drunk on the weekends, I still had the ability to just turn away drugs when people were offering them. And I went, like, I did that for for over 9, 10 years without ever touching drugs again. And then I fell off for three weekends in a row. And then that's when I went to go get it handled.
1: Okay, yeah, because that was going to be my next question is, you know, since you were able to stop, and I mean, there would be no, how how can I put this properly? Like, why would you stop? But you gave us those reasons. You wanted to get ahead in your business, and you OD'd, and then, and then, and then you, did you OD again the second time when you went back on? No. Okay.
0: No, it's just like, it was, so, it was so interesting when I did it and then I did, and then the next week and I did it again, the next week and I did it again. It's kind of like a, a pattern, right? You're right. like, just, oh, and you just fall back into it and then before you know it, and I saw it coming and I just said, I said, this, this is it. Like, I, I need to do something about this because it, it'll, it'll consume me again where I'll fall back in this lifestyle. And I also, one of the reasons why I stopped is because I was, I, I was building a speaking business where I was going to be going out speaking to people. And so I was like, there's no way like I just fell off and started doing drugs. I I can't I'm not going to be congruent in my life. I can't go in my career and be up in front of a stage and be a be a fraud. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to let my life go this way. And I'm going to live my life and be a good person. And I'm going to figure out how to be that good person. And I'm not going to talk out of both sides of my mouth.
1: Right? Well, very well done you. Thank you. You're welcome. So, were you, so were you still in the? So you weren't still in the insurance industry. The se- when you went on the second time, you went like majorly on a bender. You were you were in your new business with speaking, public speaking.
0: Uh, that's right. Okay. So what happened was I I had left your uh, a uh, Twenty two I O overdose when I cracked six figures in sales. Right. Got promoted to management. I tw- it's five years later, I put my head down. I was like, oh. Because I always had this thing that something would change my life. So I think that's what kept me kind of focused on other things. So I was like, oh, okay, if I get status and people respect me with this company, my, my whole life will change. So for five years, I put my head down and I ran like crazy to hit these goals. And so by the time I was 28, I was the number five partner out of 500 partners for one of the top life insurance companies in the country. And I'm standing there, I get the news and like the feeling is like, is this really all there is to my life? And and I just resigned. I just walked out and I'm like, I'm done.
1: Wow. And I picked
0: up and it was... Yeah, picked up, moved to California and uh, started up a couple of businesses. And I uh, didn't know what I was doing. I like just had the entrepreneurial spirit, always had it. And then within a couple of years, I blew through all my money. I was still out drinking on the weekends, partying at the clubs, wasn't doing drugs. And then I just, all you know, two years later, I'm like, you know, the, my condo's foreclosed on, my car is getting towed out of the driveway. I'm like, what the hell? What am I going to do with my life? Seriously. And that's when I made the decision that, like, I have a lot of skill sets. So, uh, like, I, I trained, you know, you know uh, uh, when I was in New York Life, I had, we had 64 agents that I trained on how to do sales, and I trained them on how to go build their business, and I trained them on how to network and how to communicate on things. So, I was like, I've got this skill set. What if I built a business around this to teach people the skills that I learned through the last 10 years? And that's when I started out my coaching and speaking business, when I was like, had lost everything. Right. And that's when, that's when I started turning my life around.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So so you have, you, tell me, tell us about your business now. Tell us about what you're doing and how it, you know, relates to, you know, just your life and turning it around.
0: Yeah, and so it's like, you know, it's interesting. When I was 21, we t- I took this class, and there was a guy who taught it by the name of Dan Sullivan, and we did these exercises. Like, I, I was very fortunate I had a mentor when he hired me at 21 who really believed in me. Still, my best friend today, and he consults with the company that I now own. And so he and I like had this amazing relationship, and he exposed me to a lot of different tools, like just tools about for life, coaching tools, business tools, etc. So at 21 or 22, we were like in the court in this room, and we're like we're doing this exercise about like your your long term vision for your life, you know. And I wrote down I want to inspire more people to transform their lives than any other person on the planet, and I don't know where it came from. I just had it something that something that I just created up, and I was like, "That's what I want to do." And I didn't know at twenty one. How, how do you even help people? How, how do you do that? Like we're selling insurance, right? But the cool thing is, what cool thing is? I was exposed. Yeah, I was exposed to all these things for a while. So at twenty eight, when I left, I was exposed to a lot of tools that like entrepreneurial tools and things like that, and a lot of sales tools and a lot of just things abilities that I had picked up. So when I started my coaching business, I was like. I spoke when I was at New York Life. You know, I, I did seminars at a young age. I, I, t- I taught sales. I coached my, my agents. So I was like, I can do this. So let me start up this business. Shortly after doing the coaching business, I then started up the speaking business. because so I'm like, there's only so many people you can reach just coaching one-on-one. So let me do a speaking business. So I went and started doing seminars. And then I started becoming very successful. I would get booked on stages with like five, 600 people. I'd go in, I'd speak, I'd sell, and then I'd lead my own seminars you know, for like three, four days straight. And I created this brand called Message to Millions because I feel like there's many people in the world who have a message and a story, but they don't know how to get it out to the world. Right. So I created this brand. And when I created this brand, I started to learn how to build my business online because I saw that if you can truly reach people online, like any dream you have can come true and you can impact people all over the planet today. So I started learning marketing Go ahead for you. I was just
1: going to say, yep. Sorry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so I started to learn that and it was a skill set that I learned. And so I I really took it upon myself. I go, I'm going to learn this and immerse myself for years into this for like four or five years to just like really get this so that I can own it and just be my skill set. And then I started to do that. And I realized that my business just started to explode because I knew how to get the message out. And about five years ago, I realized that like, I want to share something that, uh, I want to share my voice in a way that's like really the thing I want to say to the world. And so five years ago, I saw a guy on stage and he was, he, we were at a business conference there were a thousand people in the room. And then all of a sudden this guy comes on stage and he starts doing a one man play on his life story. Oh! And so, yep. So I saw it and I'll tell you what, I've been to Broadway. I've watched some great shows on Broadway. I've never seen something, a play that inspired me this much. Wow. I stood up and I'm like, that's what, yeah, I, I stood up and I go, that's what I'm going to do. So I sought out some people. I hired some guy who had been touring the show for 10 years and I was kind of at a pivotal point in my business where it was like, do I go to like, do I go work on the show or do I go like work on, grow my business? And I had been launching my business online. So I was like, I could do both. I got a freedom. I could have my business running online. And I could go to London with this guy and train and watch his show for two weeks and write my play. So five years ago, I, I wrote a play called Good Enough, which is basically based on my story of like not feeling good enough to go after my dreams right? and turning to turn alcohol and drugs. And so I've been performing that play for the last five years. And then recently we just got it picked up as a movie. We just the first draft just got done. We just had a reading here on Sunday. So now I've shifted my focus to where half the time is on growing this brand. Half the time is now growing on this new brand. With the, the, the play, the movie, and also the live events that I'm doing with this new brand called Good Enough, which is am I good enough to live my dreams, teaching people how to live their dreams. Wow. So my whole business has evolved. Yeah. So my whole business has evolved to what we're doing. And, uh, and that's where I'm at now. And if I didn't get off drugs, I'll tell you what, and alcohol, <laughs> there's no way this is happening right now. Right. No way. Right. Yeah.
1: You, in, in I was reading um, something from your website, and it says in in your play you play fifteen different characters. Who who yeah. are some of those characters? If you don't mind sharing that.
0: Yeah. So I, I play like this Italian guy, this crazy guy at the nightclubs that we used to hang out with, uh-huh. Donnie. I, I play. Uh, I play like I. There was a time where I spoke on uh, Deepak Chopra and Donna Karen's stage, so I play Donna Karen in one of the scenes. I play uh, my brother, I play um, Carlos, who's one of my, my friends in the, he's a Mexican friend of mine who's in the, in the actual uh, play. I play, you know, I play, of course, I play myself at different ages. So I play all kinds of different people. Wow. It, and it's, uh, yeah, so it's fun.
1: And where have you performed it?
0: Yeah, so um, I performed it all over the country and also different parts of the world, South America, uh, Vancouver, uh, Washington D.C., uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Diego, um, many other places in the United States. So initially, because I was in the seminar world, I performed it at. Uh, um, I performed it. I got invited to conferences, Florida, and I would go do these conferences—five hundred people, a hundred people, what have you—and so I would go do uh, the play there. But the cool thing is now we just got picked, picked up, and we're doing a five-week run at the Lounge here in Hollywood. Oh, cool! So into the lounge theater, yeah.
1: Cool. So you just yeah. in, you just incorporated it kind of as part of your seminar, which I think is kind of brilliant.
0: Yes, totally. I'm, I'm kind of one of these one of these people that I, I look at the traditional lines, and I've always looked at it and go, well, well, why would I have to go that way? Right. Why can't I just go this? Why can't I just go this way? Isn't there an audience here? And why can't we create our own audience? And let's do that.
1: Right. 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 Well, I think that's awesome. I love that. Um,
0: right.
1: you know, it's interesting we have interviewed um on the podcast a couple of uh former rock stars who were um who are part of an organization called Rock to Recovery and they use music to, you know, help recovering addicts. And I am I'm, I'm as I listen to your story, I'm thinking you now kind of use drama and storytelling and performance to kind of do the same thing to get your point across and to get your message across. And of course, um, you know, it's aesthetics and it's art. And that is, you know, I think that's huge. I think that's a great way. You know, it's a great way to communicate to the masses for sure.
0: Yeah, it's great. And we like uh, And at the end of every play, like we talk about drug free world.
1: Oh, okay. It's-
0: yeah it's an organization obviously as you know yep we've talked about that on the podcast uh,
1: and the materials that they have the truth about drugs yeah that's awesome
0: yeah we do that at at the end of every play and then every seminar i have we we raise money for it with our clients and so we raise money for the foundation and then we we get people who then are reaching just at the last seminar we had like a bunch of people came came after and they they, they ran up and they wanted to know about the sauna detox. They were like, hey, tell me, tell me about the sauna detox thing. Like, what, what is that, you know? So Does that figure in your play somewhere?
1: Do you talk about that in the play somewhere? I mean, or how did they know about that? Uh,
0: um, I, I actually don't, but at the end, I always pull up a chair and it's kind of like a custom of like 30 minutes on stage afterwards. They ask me any question you want about my life, about my business, about my journey, about the drugs, about whatever. I got somebody it. somebody always asked a question about how I got off the drugs. Right,
1: right. And we've talked before about the Narconon program and the, and the sauna detox and how, you know, that's what basically gets all the residual drugs out of the fatty tissues of the body. And the fact that that is one, one of the things that sets the whole Narconon program apart from all of the programs, but that's, that's fabulous. I, I really love what you're doing. And are you, are you, Am, am I because I obviously I met you in L.A. when I was at the premiere for my son's film. Are you looking to make a film out of this?
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. We already have like the the script. Um, we just had a reading here with 20 actors. So we just did the first reading. And so now we're 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 now crafting the second draft. OK. And then we're go- going to go we've raised some money already for the film. OK. And we're going to continue to raise more. And then we're going to go into production and create the movie.
1: So it won't be a so, one uh, man does, show. It'll be a bunch of different. That? It won't be a one man show. It'll be a bunch of different actors.
0: Uh, exactly. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. Exactly. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Well, I wish <laughs> you. I wish you huge amounts of success with what you're doing. I think it's absolutely vital. And let I, one of the ways I always like to close um, the interviews like this is that if we figure that a lot of the people that listen to our podcast are probably more friends and family of people who are addicted to drugs. I don't know how how many actual addicts listen to the podcast, but if you could just give one good message here at the end to our listeners, what would it be on this whole subject of addiction?
0: Well, I think one thing is like, you know, I think that people like when they have some type of purpose or plan in their life, like they're less likely to um, turn towards drugs. Now, if they've already turned towards drugs and they're addicted, you know, one, I think just best is like, go talk to them, you know, like really talk to them. Because like if you can't talk and get in communication with them to find out what's going on and understand their point of view and have a conversation about it, that's not judgy or that's not like you need to stop doing this but really to understand what someone's going through. I think that's the first step. I think the second step is there's so many people today out there using drugs and who may not even be using drugs who don't, who are not educated on what's in them and what the effect is. So get them educated, get them a booklet from drug free world and get them educated to just read it and see what's going on in it. And I would say the third thing is like, you know, if I was in the situation think somebody who, who cared about me, would be like, listen, Like now, now that we've had the conversation, it's time to, it's time to turn your life around. So bring them somewhere, a rehabilitation center that, that doesn't give them drugs to get off drugs, right? right? I think it's the craziest thing in the world. Yep. Bring them somewhere that can, can help them actually solve the problem. And when you talked about the sauna detox, like I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that the drugs stay in my fat cells. Right. And the alcohol. I didn't know the state of my body. I didn't know that it was constantly affecting my mind. Like I had a sense that it was, but I didn't know how it worked. So educate people on that, get educated yourself. And, and in doing that, you can truly like have a great conversation with somebody you care about and help them. And it takes, here's the thing, like a lot of times people think that it takes like so much and yes, I get there's situations where it can take a lot, but sometimes it's one piece of information. It's one, one conversation. That can change somebody's life i mean i had the conversation with somebody sunday like change your life like he was going off in a totally different path it was the 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 uh one of my client's kids and she says would you call him i said yeah and next thing you know like he was in you know going to handle his situation and and take care and take care of himself and it turned it literally turns his life around it's mm-hmm. like he will be a he is, he's already a different person of the things that he's doing to help himself and it's like it's one conversation with somebody who cared and reached out and had some reality of what that person's going through and just talk to them in a way that was real.
1: Right. That's awesome. Ted, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. If someone wants to find out more about good enough, where can they go to do that?
0: Uh, You can just go to my, my website, Ted McGrath com, And on there you'll, all about my different brands and good enough is one of them ted mcgrath brands.com that's t-e-d-m-c-g-r-a-t-h brands b-r-a-n-d-s.com perfect
1: perfect well again thank you so much for being on the podcast today and best of luck you gotta let me know about the film you know my son's in la so if you do a premiere i want to know about it
0: oh absolutely count on it okay
1: okay great thank you ted
0: thanks so much appreciate it thanks for having me on
1: I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Ted McGrath, and thank you to our listeners for helping us, um, you know, get our message across for the first two years of the podcast. This is the end of the second year, and next year we'll start into our third year with more and better interviews, and I will strive to get Jason in the studio as much as I can, but as I say, he's super duper busy. He's helping people get off drugs and I just can't fault him for that. Everybody have a great week. We'll talk to you next week.